0: So the step five testing of the medium's accuracy, they participate in, we refer to as quintuple blind readings where there's no normal way they could get the information. It can't be hot reading. It can't be cold reading. They can't look anything up. They can't read your cues. The, the readings take place over the phone. The experimenter serving as a proxy doesn't know anything about you or your diseased person. you ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast,
1: you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ spiritual people, and our cis hetero allies of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality, none
0: of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind. And start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome to What The... Fuck just happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listened to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science y skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, There's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder what the fuck just happened. Hi, today I'm speaking with Dr. Julie Beischel. She is co-founder and director of research at the Winbridge Institute and Winbridge Research Center. She has a doctorate in pharmacology and many books and peer reviewed studies on psychic mediums. And these all got me through my darkest and earliest days of my grief. And can't imagine those first few months without all of her research. So, welcome, Dr. Baishel, and thanks so much for being on.
0: Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be really fun. We're going to have a really good time, Liz.
1: I know. I'm excited. So, I want to jump in because. I really related to you and your first medium reading and all your skepticism. So how did you even get into this in the first place? I know you have a doctorate in pharmacology and you're a lot more not the typical person who initially would go be open to all of this afterlife science.
0: Yeah. Uh, So like a lot of people, I had a personal experience when I was in graduate school. I lost my mom to suicide. and. I started to, I was a scientist, I started to look around and wonder like, well, what does science have to say about this? I was raised Catholic and I had this like very general idea of this thing called heaven, but I didn't really know what that was. and So I started looking into it and I go into this story in great detail in my book, Love and the Afterlife. But the short version is I had a mediumship reading and I was like, this is something I couldn't have explained before now. But this person who there's no way she could have known any of this stuff reported information to me that seemed like it seemed like I spent the hour with my mom. And so I went back to grad school and the other students and the other professors and I told them about my experience over the weekend. And most of them said, well, I don't know anything about that. But that sounds like you had a really interesting experience. But there was There was one guy in particular, and he was like, nah, those are all frauds. Those are all con artists. You got duped. And I was like, no, I was there. That is not what happened. And I came to realize that that was the sort of the common reaction from people who like that's what they've heard. So that's what they think is true is that there's no way that a medium can communicate with your departed loved one so they must all be con artists and I was like no I was there that is exactly not what happened I'm going to bring this into the lab and test it under control conditions and see what happens and the universe is like oh really because here here is a postdoc that you will do for four years and then you will do this for the rest of your life that was like the path that I got pushed on and that was in I don't know 2003 maybe so I've been doing that ever since
1: was there one standout thing this medium said that was your, oh my God, how did they know that one thing?
0: No, it was actually several things. And I go through those in that chapter, but it was like, that was her manner of death. It was like this interesting thing about, she said she wanted it to be the Brady Bunch, but it wasn't. And she said something about a um, a station wagon. And in my head, I remembered like we did have a, like all families in the 70s, we had a big station wagon with the back seat that faced backwards. And I had left a big, giant kindergarten crayon in the station wagon. And in the Phoenix summer, it melted into the carpet. And so when the medium said station wagon, I was like screaming in my head, green crayon, green crayon. She didn't make any mention of any of that. So. The fact that she didn't get what I was trying to put out psychically, that was like something that I thought was very interesting because it was like, oh, she's not just reading my mind, right? That's the that's the alternative explanation is she's just reading your mind. Oh, just reading my mind? That very simple thing we all can do? No. Before I knew what I was doing, that was my little experiment that I, that I did. And there were things that I didn't even know that... I had to check with my mom's sisters about because um, they're all from Cincinnati. And then we moved to Phoenix when I was like three. And so there were a lot of things just that I didn't have any knowledge of where people were buried and the details of of funerals and that sort of thing. And that when I checked with my aunts, those things were true and meaningful. So I thought that was another Interesting thing, but it really was. I really felt like I had spent the time with her. I really felt like like that was a an experience with her and walking away from that reading, like it was weird how weird it wasn't. It was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hung out with my dead mom today. It just it was very matter-of-fact and and um and real.
1: Yeah, I can relate to so much of what you said. So tell us what. Is Winbridge, and when did you start it?
0: Okay, so I when after I got my PhD in pharmacology and toxicology, I took a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Arizona, and I studied mediums there for uh, four years and published an accuracy testing paper. And then the my postdoc was funded by one generous fella for all four years, and then he was like, "I don't have any more money to give to this." And so I looked into the, could I stay at the university? And everyone was like very, it was very supportive, that environment, because they were good scientists and we don't we don't have preconceived notions. Good scientists don't have preconceived notions about what is or isn't possible. We just follow the data. And they were like, if you can have independent funding, you can... Ha- stay here. They were very helpful, but it just, the it didn't work out. The The details never lined up. So my husband, Mark Bakutzi and I were like, well, this research needs to be done. What should we do? We looked in all of these different things. And then the, the, really the only option left was we need to go out on our own and we need to create an independent research organization. So that was in 2008 we founded the Winbridge Institute. And at that time, we were interested in so many things. We wanted to study psi in general, telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, and psychokinesis, and survival of consciousness related topics like mediumship. We just want to do everything. And then by 2017, we f- weren't really serving any audience well because we were trying to serve everybody so we branched the survival of consciousness afterlife research into a a second organization called the winbridge research center which is a 501c3 public charity so from that point on 2017 all the mediumship research took place at the center
1: and i just want to touch on one thing you said about follow the data because i remember very early on and i kept telling myself this can't be true. None of this is true. There's no way consciousness could survive bodily death. Despite the studies I was reading, getting my own mediumship readings, and you wrote a line that really kind of let myself process this. I'm going to not quote you perfectly, but it was, what if we put aside all preconceived notions and just followed the data? And anyone listening, once I was able to do that, and thank you, Dr. Meishel, because that was just so (laughs) helpful to let myself actually process what I was seeing. So anyone who is in the process of hoping all this is true, just that's the scientific thing to do. Yeah. So I want to ask you, so you have certified a variety of media, or a, I should say, a tightly selected group of mediums. Uh, what is the certification process?
0: So it's quite complex. And you can uh, look at it on the Wimbridge Research website, if you go to the About Us, the mediums is listed in the About Us, and you can read about the, the certification, has eight steps. It's peer-reviewed. In 20, 2007, I published a paper about methods in mediumship research, and I listed the the eight steps, and, and the paper got peer-reviewed. So it's a peer-reviewed certification system, and we do interviews and they fill out questionnaires. and But the big piece is step five, which is accuracy testing. So we received a grant to, to basically create a stable of mediums that we could continue to do research with. And so through that grant, my stable at its height was 20 mediums. And when the grant was over, we stopped certifying mediums because we didn't have the time or the funding to do it anymore. And so we we continue to just work with that stable of 20 mediums and two have retired. So now we have 18 and one is anonymous, but you can see the other 17 and if you're interested in a reading and we'll talk about more about what that entails. You can go to winbridge.org and uh, see the list of Winbridge certified research mediums. But so the step 5 testing of the mediums accuracy they participate in, we refer to as quintuple blind readings where there's no normal way they could get the information. It can't be hot reading. It can't be cold reading. They can't look anything up. They can't read your cues. The The readings take place over the phone. The experimenter serving as a proxy doesn't know anything about you or your deceased person. So I'm that experimenter. I can't cue the medium. You know, the joke is like the medium starts to go, well, I think the cause of death is like something about the head. And I'm like, you mean breast cancer? Good. <laughs> I can't spin it because I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. So I, it's just the medium and I on the phone. All we have is the first name of the departed. And I ask specific questions. What did the person look like? What was their personality? What are their hobbies or activities and how did they die? And then do they have any specific messages for the absent sitter? So it can they can't just be like, your person loved you and they miss you 100%, right? They're, we're asking very specific because that's one form of cold reading is you just say things so general it could apply to nearly anyone. So we ask for very specific information and then when we transcribe the recordings of those and we we formatted it into itemized list, like numbered list of items. And then each absent sitter gets two. One is theirs and one is somebody else's. And we don't tell them which is which. And they score for accuracy each item in each reading. And then we say, okay, and also pick which one you think is yours. And so the, it's multiple ways of looking at it. And so at the center, our at the Winbrood Research Center, our mission is to use controlled world-class science and then create edu- free educational materials to help people like you at that time learn about what we- what do scientists really know about this? So we, on the education tab of our website at winbridge.org, there's a, a bunch of fact sheets. And so there's a fact sheet about testing mediums, accuracy under controlled conditions. And it goes through these the five levels of blinding and it goes through the findings from our research. We did enough research that we had 58 readings with those 20 mediums. But then there's also people have replicated our work. So I did the first study at the University of Arizona, and then I replicated it and extended that protocol at Winbridge. And then other people... Independent researchers have replicated it since then. And I think it's like there's now 112 mediumship research readings in the literature. And together, those demonstrate that lo and behold, mediums can report accurate and specific information about the deceased without any prior knowledge about the, either the sitters or the discarnate, beyond the discarnate's first name. So it's not like just me. At a microphone saying, no, no, mediums are real. Like there's peer reviewed research. And I'm quick to point out, like our protocols peer reviewed like over four times. It got reviewed when we submitted it as a grant project to the funding organization and then they accepted it. It got reviewed when they approved our final report. It got approved when we presented it at a peer reviewed meeting, academic meeting, and then it got peer reviewed before it got published. So, it's not like it's just, I didn't just write it down and then say it's real. Experts who understand the scientific method approved that this is real and that this happened. And, you know, I I used to kind of have it and say like, the data point to, the data suggests, but like, no, we're beyond that now. It's real. And we never, scientists never say proven, but the data are strong, that mediums can report accurate and specific information about the deceased with no prior knowledge and without using any shenanigans.
1: Why is it you sit in for the sitters and you don't know who the sitters are as well, correct? Correct. So now why is it you're sitting there and getting all the information instead of the sitter themselves?
0: Because the by me sitting in as what's called a proxy sitter, it allows us to keep the sitter blind to which reading is theirs. If they heard it, they would know it was their reading. And so what we want to do is give them two readings. So they score what's called a target reading, which was intended for them. And then a decoy reading that was intended for someone else without knowing which was which. And that prevents what's called rater bias, or at least equalizes rater bias. So some people are more skeptical than others, and they may, you know, not, unless it was like a huge hit, they would never say it was right. And then some people are like, yeah, yeah, everything is right. Yeah, I sort of had a cousin named Fred, right? They just would give everything uh, an, an accurate scoring. So what we do when we give everybody two readings is it equalizes that rater bias. And so in order to keep the sitter blind to which reading was theirs, they can't hear the reading as it takes place. So then I serve as the proxy sitter it's called the proxy sitter because the mediums trust me and i have the questions and i'm collecting the data i'm recording the reading i'm formatting it into a list of items so the w- the way that it works is there's five levels of blinding three experimenters the sitter is blind and the medium is blind so the way that we did it mark was experimenter 1 and so he consented the sitters and got the names of the disease all those sorts of things at the beginning when the people were signing up to participate in research.
1: You say names of the deceased. It was only the first name, not a full name.
0: Correct. And he only, he, he got it from them on the phone and he only ever wrote it down. So it wasn't anywhere electronic at that time. Um. So no one could hack our system and get the names or whatever. And you know, what can the name tell you? Then you all you have is first name. And then you have to say the personality, the physical description, the hobbies, the cause of death, and the specific messages for that specific sitter. And skeptics will say, oh, yeah, you can get a lot from the name. And so our response is, oh, yeah, prove it and show your work. Show where you took that name, answered those questions accurately, and where you found that information. Because everybody's a little bit psychic. So you can't just use a skeptic and go, oh, yeah, it didn't work because they too are a little bit medium. Right. So the only way that you can control for these other things is to have the medium score control reading, which it doesn't have, it shouldn't have anything to do with them. But what, yeah, there's just so much. There's so much. Because what we found is about 30% of any reading can apply to nearly anyone. People are only so different. So there are going to be things in your reading that would totally apply to other people because people are only so different and relationships with loved ones are only so different. So you, you know, people shouldn't expect that it's going to be like a hundred percent unique information that only apply. You know, I make the jokes all the time, like unless your person was born on Mars and, you know, has two heads and died from falling in a volcano, the stuff the medium says is going to be applicable to other people as well.
1: Right. And then when it all comes together, though, and it's like (laughs) 90, 80% applies to your person, that's, and maybe one specific thing, that's where it kind of becomes, okay, this is me, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, as a scientist, what we are interested in is just like the collection. So with the 58 readings by 20 mediums, we saw an effect and that's what's interesting. But yeah, on the ground, people, an individual person, what you're looking for is, does it feel like you spent that time with your person? And, you know, people shouldn't be, I write three different chapters in my book, Love in the Afterlife about what people can do to be a good sitter because it's not going to work. There are three people involved in the mediumship reading. The medium is only one of them. The other two are your departed loved one and you, and you have to do your jobs too. So three chapters in the book, what you should do before, what you should do during, and what you should do after mediumship reading in order to make it successful. There's a lot of, you can't just walk in and think, the, it, like the medium's going to do her job. Like, no, this is a, a collection of, a, it's a person connecting you with your deceased loved one. Like, this, it's a loving relationship, and this person is going to help you reconnect. And that's all you should be looking for. There's no testing. You will never be able to employ all the controls that I have employed. We need like seven sitters before we can find a good pair. You need three experimenters you have to have a deco. You can't hear the reading as it takes place. Like, don't worry about the testing. I've done the testing. Worry about this is an opportunity for you to get to spend time with someone you loved that has died. And that's what it should be. Don't try and test anybody. Don't try and fake anybody out. Don't try and use any codes. Oh, I'll know it's real if. No. Did you do all of those?
1: Everything I did. I yeah. did 100% <laughs> of those for like the first <laughs> year. So I'm just I'm sure what you're saying that. The mediums did get my code a few times, but I would be so dejected at the times they didn't. I'm like, that's the one thing I wanted. Yeah, I, I was ever, I was laughing reading your book because everything, you're like, don't do this. I'm like, me, <laughs> me, me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so, and it's, it's, uh, it's because it's such a unique situation. We, of course, want to apply our everyday logic to it. and But it's not an everyday thing. So you have to like really step aside from yourself and really be mindful of what your expectations are and what your assumptions are and go into it w- with the right frame of mind. You know, why are you even doing it? I say, if you've ever said a medium should be able to, then probably it's not good. It's not for you. If you were like, you know what I'd like to do, I'd like to reconnect with my person that died. And I think a medium could help. Maybe, maybe you'd make a good sitter. But you do have to put in the work in order for it to work well.
1: And I noticed they do defy, in my readings, I was getting, they were defying the laws of the universe, just not in the way that I was expecting. They should be, but they were still getting, the good ones were still, I could not explain what they were doing.
0: Yeah. And doesn't that make what you think are the laws of the universe aren't laws? It's like what you were taught, but it's not right. It turns out that it's what's real is that love is eternal and and so strong that mediums can feel it even under blinded conditions. So... What we can conclude from the accuracy testing is the mediums can report accurate and specific information about the deceased. But with the accuracy testing alone, we cannot conclude that it's from the deceased. We can't say they're communicating with the deceased. We're saying they said true things about the deceased, but that's as far as we can go with just accuracy testing.
1: Where else could it be coming from if it's not the deceased?
0: It could be quote, simple psi, simple telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition. So uh, one of the explanations, is, oh, they, when you told them what their scores were, they look into the future f- for when you told them what their scores were, and then they said those things from the future. So we never give our mediums individual feedback about their readings and their individual statements to prevent that from happening. You know, the other theories are like, oh, they're looking at you know, documents in clairvoyantly in someone's attic, or they're reading your mind using telepathy, but whatever it is, they're using psychic ability. So they're either communicating with a survived consciousness of your deceased loved one, or they're using regular normal <laughs> psychic functioning to use these other things to, to gather information about the deceased and then Spinning it to sound like they're communicating with someone in order to make money. That's the theory.
1: If they truly, genuinely have abilities where they're reading someone's mind, that is so remarkable and still defies the laws of the universe.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, why, you know?
0: Oh, they're just reading your mind? Oh, it's just that? Okay.
1: I'm like, I can't do that. And that also is showing that somehow information is stored and communicated non locally and out of a body. And if there is a functionality that information could be stored that way, why wouldn't consciousness? That's what I always think, too.
0: Yeah. And well, my question is, because, you know, the the rule of thumb is all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. And so my question is, well, if it's so easy to, you know, read someone's mind, and then spin it as that they're talking to your dead person, why aren't all psychics mediums? If they're just faking it, then I bet mediums make more money than psychics. Why don't they all just do it? So right there, like the logic doesn't pan out. And then we tested it under blinded conditions. So what we did was we used our same quintuple blind protocol. And, but some of the first names we gave to the mediums at the start of the reading were living people and some were deceased people. And they didn't know which were which. They didn't even know they were going to get one of each. They just knew some some readings are going to be living people. Some are going to be deceased people. And like my mediums are very scientifically minded. And they're like, how are you going to see an effect if we, if everybody, I was like, it will wash out in the numbers. Like we'll get to see it. But this, you know, what it really was, was they each read one of each. So they got a name. They did a reading. What does the person look like? What's their personality? What are their hobbies or activities? And then at the end, they filled out this standardized questionnaire called the phenomenology of consciousness inventory. And they fill out these items and then their results allow us to quantify 26 different dimensions of their consciousness. So it lets us see like what was their their memory recall of the experience when it was over, how what about the passage of time? Did they feel like they had an altered experience? 26 different things. And the two reading when we unblinded the data to ourselves the two conditions were very similar, which we expected because they're both psychic functioning, but there was one thing that was different statistically. And that of the 26 dimensions of consciousness, the one thing that was statistically different was love. And so the mediums experienced more love when they were reporting the answers to those questions about a deceased person than when they were reporting. The answers about a living person. Again, not knowing which was which, not even knowing there would be one of each. And then we also collected data where we just asked them to talk about that. And it's very clear in their experiences that communicating with a deceased person feels different than acquiring psychic information about the living. So they know what psychic information feels like, and it, this isn't it. This feels like communication. And we'd seen that before in previous qualitative research where they they describe the deceased person as separate volitional being who like can surprise them, make them laugh. So they don't experience it as as dead information, they experience it as a dead person. It's a person communicating with them. And so, if you take the accuracy testing plus this idea that the two experiences are different, then based on the data, you have to conclude they're communicating with the survived consciousness of our deceased loved ones.
1: Oh, I still get chills when I hear this. It's <laughs> just, I obviously, we all hope this, and it's so nice to be able to go past hope into actual data
0: i gotta say we don't all hope this i think when um, mark and i started doing this research we were like i I I take comfort in the idea that like when you die everything it's just over and we don't have to worry about anything anymore it's over and so when we started to get this data we were like oh no (laughs) there is an afterlife who knew yeah
1: no (laughs) actually that makes me feel so good to hear because you're not bringing wishful thinking no to your conclusions and
0: and like i had a really bad childhood and um relationship with my mother and so i did not need her in my life anymore and so i didn't need for the, for an afterlife to be real I, if she was if she was dead and gone that would have been fine with me but i'm a good scientist and i followed the data and it said that's not what it is it is that she's still around and 20 years later When I was writing this book, Love in the Afterlife, and working on this pack of meditation cards uh, called Guidance for Grief, I was like, well, I better walk the talk. And so I was like, okay, it's 20 years, but I think, mom, I'm ready to start having a relationship with you. And all kinds of things started happening. And um, so it's it's never too late. And even if you had a bad relationship, people, they're not instantaneously perfect beings on the other side but 20 years <laughs> you can grow and learn and change and so it's it's I just want people to know it's never too late to try and establish a what we call a continuing bond with your departed loved ones
1: love that and there's another study I remember reading early on you scanned mediums brains when they did a psychic reading versus a medium reading versus making up a story. Am I correct about
0: that? Not entirely. I want to make sure that we're clear about this. So we did EEG. We collected EEG. And we asked the mediums to enter four different states. We weren't doing actual readings. They just were like quiet in the dark with the EEG cap on. And we said, and they were just instructed to enter these four different states. So the first was recollection. So think about a living person that they know. Perception. Listen while I described a person, like I while I read facts about a person. Fabrication. Think about a person that they made up in their head, and then communication. Communicate with a deceased person that you know. So prior to the experiment, they all agreed to have have an agreement with their own deceased people from their family that they would show up during the experiment. So they did recollection, perception, fabrication, and communication. So we weren't collecting data. We had no way to prove that they were actually in communication with their deceased, their own deceased loved ones during that session. But, you know, some of them cried and you could tell that mentally they were having that experience. And so what we were collecting data... EEG data while they entered those four different mental states. There was no way for us to prove that they were in any of those states, but that's what they were instructed to do. And then what we found was that the experience of communicating with the deceased was different, was distinct, and that it wasn't consistent with brain activity during just like regular thinking or imagination. So it it didn't look like any of those things if it was close to any of them it would have been perception it would have been like that you were experiencing novel information it wasn't like that you were recalling information you looked up it wasn't that you you made up something or you you know you just were creating information out of thin air like it, what it looked like was perception that you were listening to someone talk to you is what it looked like if if any of it didn't look exactly like any of them
1: club care is a charity organization founded by emma justice after the loss of her father david justice to glioblastoma club care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer they strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families, as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org backslash programs for a complete list of programs and activities. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, Women on Waves org, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewoman's health abortionfunds.org, and of course Planned Parenthood. I link to all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore and they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. The mediumship. Fascinating. And there's another study that you wrote in your book, and I remember you speaking about when I went to your talk at Omega, and it involves remote viewing and an insight into what is going on on the other side or what It is like. Would you mind sharing that study?
0: Yeah. So, that study is the brainchild of my husband, Mark Bakutzi, and he did a presentation about it for our Wimbridge Research Center Afterlife Symposium a couple years ago. And so, if you go to Wimbridge.org and you just search the word VISTA, you can find his presentation that has all the data. But essentially, what it is, is that he used the methods of remote viewing. And so, in remote viewing, the remote viewer is tasked with reporting information about a target when they're only given a target ID, which is just an alphanumeric code. They don't know anything. It could be anything. Um, It could be a military base. It could be the future. It could be where there's water underground on this plot of land. It could be anything. And so, what Mark did was he assigned those codes to physical life and the afterlife. And he tasked trained remote viewers um, in reporting information. I described some of the details in the book. The cover of my book, I used the words that the remote viewers reported that the afterlife was like, and I put it in a image generation software and and it turned the the words into a picture. And, and I love the picture, and it's beautiful. But the things that the remote viewers talked about, again, totally blinded. All they had was an ID number, but they used words like forever, vast, and intriguing. The physical life target was like Marksing at his computer. And when they read that one, they were like a black box, electrical equipment, a fan. Like they, they got that. It was very clear that that's what they were reading. And then we said, okay, now read this other one. Again, all they had was a number. And they reported this like beautiful, expansive, compassionate, loving place. And again, it could have been anything. That ID number could have been anything. And the place they described sounded so amazing. And so in my book, my theory is, well, if you wanted to know about like playing the stock market, you'd ask people who were good at it what they did. So I'm saying, if you want to learn to connect with the other side, let's ask the mediums. And so we have data about the specific personality characteristics of mediums. And so you can you can work to be more those things, like compassionate, agreeable, conscientious, um, and mindful and and then you may be more in tune with the other side. So it may be easier for your person to get to you. Like If you're just stomping around angry all the time, I bet it's harder for your people to get to you and to to give you messages. So chapter eight is my favorite chapter. And it's all the ways and all the things that you can do, the simple things that you can do to sort of be more in tune with the other side so that maybe you're your energy like, lines up and it, it's easier for them to get to you. And it's something we can all do. We don't have to be mediums to connect with the other side. And there's plenty of data ab- about what are called spontaneous after-death communication experiences, where people just, you know, everyday people regularly have these experiences. The most common one is just called sense of presence. People just feel like they're with their departed loved one, maybe More extreme cases that you see something, uh, apparition, or you hear the voice or you feel touched, but sense of presence is really common and you just feel like the person was with you.
1: Yeah, I definitely have that a lot with a few of my people that I miss. And, you know, one thing that I want to bring up that you address in your book is loss of animals. And I think you mentioned how dismissed that is with people and I've lost animals. And it's, I mean, it's just crushing. So it was so kind of relieving and validating to see you address that. So I'd love to just touch it. I know you've mentioned some remarkable visitations people had from animals, and also mediums can connect with animals, correct?
0: Definitely. Often animals will show up Like people will go to a medium and want to connect with their departed human loved one and animals will show up with that person. So that's how we first were like, well, wait, they're just showing up spontaneously. Let's look at it specifically. And so we got a small grant to use our same quintuple brand protocol. But instead of deceased people as targets, we had deceased animals and deceased companion animals. And we ran, I think, five or six readings and the data were strong. But we had to close the study because it was so hard for people because it's not 100%. You're not directly in touch with the person. You have to read a transcript of a reading. We were like, this is undue suffering. We're making people relive this loss. And so... We closed that data, but the the data we did collect looked strong. The mediums could report accurate and specific information about specific animals under blinded conditions. So it's just love is love. It doesn't matter the species. People can still feel connected in all the different ways that people feel connected to their human loved ones. You can feel connected to your departed animals. And same thing. Yeah, the sense of presence. So I wrote about It's because it's such a different relationship. You know, our relationships with our animals are basically purely physical. It's just sort of, we're just, we just get to be together. They don't know our favorite color. They don't remember our stories about high school, right? We just, we're just together. We just sit together and touch. And so it's that sort of thing that you can experience, like just feel, just feel the nearness of your departed animal, like just like you would if they were still alive. I, I can't tell you any specific stories because I'll just start crying.
1: Well, your book had some amazing ones and I know your website has. Uh, yeah, it does have some. What would you say is the biggest what the fuck that you've seen in terms of study in terms of any experiences?
0: I don't think it was one specific time. I think it was just that it keeps happening. Like it keeps being real. Every time we do it, the mediums are able to report accurate and specific information about the deceased. And so it's not surprising anymore because I just expected because it's real. So everything is randomized and controlled and blinded in, in our studies. And so one time we were doing the scheduled readings and it was, I was doing two different readings with two different mediums and it happened to be that the deceased people for those two readings had the same first name and so i literally just opened my planner up with the two names and the two mediums names and i just like sort of looked at the sky like I don't know, you figure it out. But the one medium got sick and she was like, oh, I can't do it today. And she rescheduled. So (laughs) the joke was like, oh, the deceased struck the medium down with illness. But, it, it, you know, now they, they didn't have to share the day. It was two different days that those two people with the same first name got to talk to two different mediums. And, you know, even with cases like that, like the data are still strong. It's things like that, like, oh, this is under none of my control. This is totally out of my hands. And these deceased people are going to do whatever they're going to do whenever they're going to do it. So I'm continually grateful that it keeps working because it keeps working. And even like I said, this recently independent group in Italy did a similar protocol with Italian mediums and sitters, and they found the same thing. It was, it was, the results were similar to what we found. So it's just like, yep, it's not surprising anymore. Like, cause it's real. It'd be like, yep. Every time I throw something up, it falls down. Gravity is still real. It's like that.
1: Yeah. I kind of relate, except I still, I'll get a media reading or watch group ones or they see remote viewing or OBEs, other phenomenon. I'm still, I think i still I don't get chills to the level I did in the beginning. I wish I did. But I still, there are moments I'm just like, I am watching someone completely defining the most remarkable scientific, like paradigm shifting data that I could ever fathom. And it just, like the profundity of that will hit me. And it's just, it's amazing, this stuff.
0: Can I ask you a question? Yes, please. Mark told me that early on in your your learning about all this stuff, you thought that I was a fabrication of like some <laughs> military industrial complex that somebody had made me up and tried to like, trying to hawk the truth of mediumship and that I wasn't even a real person. Is that right?
1: Oh, that's hilarious. And that is going in my next book. I thought there was a possibility that you... And the Windbridge mediums were one author who was writing books. At that point, before I wrote a book, I was like, books must make so much money. I have learned that's not necessarily the case. No. So I thought there was one person who was an author who was like, well, if I write about mediumship and make up a person who's a scientist <laughs> <laughs> and pretend to be all these mediums that are certified by the scientist, and I'm one person who gives readings then I will have this incredibly lucrative business (laughs) and I am so glad I didn't actually do background checks because now that I've met you, that would be so awkward to be like, by the way, I, I would feel like I was being deceptive not telling someone that I background checked them, but I was close. I started researching and I found videos of you. I found videos of Laura. I'm like, okay. And I was like, first, like took all of your photos and put them into stock. (laughs) um like you and other windbridge i was like okay they're all different people and then so i was like okay i think they're all real
0: people but seriously if someone were to create (laughs) a scientist don't you think the person they created would have been a man if you were trying to get some shit past skeptics don't you think you would have had a dude do it
1: (laughs) unfortunately and i'm so enraged you're saying that because that's so true It'd be yeah. like a white like f- 45 to 50 year old like square jawed like waspy man which is so enraging to think about but that's so true yeah oh yeah. and something hopefully will change
0: um don't get me started
1: oh that's another topic and i could just uh it gets me so angry and hopefully that's another thing that will shift but speaking of Irritating things to me. This is the most paradigm-shifting thing, and I spent a couple years early grief just thinking. Once I established you were a real human, and <laughs> you know, all of the others, like Laura and Joanne, and all of you were real humans, um, I just kept delving in further and further. I even reached out to skeptics and said, "Can I send you my medium readings? And can you tell me how they could possibly be doing this?" This is the list of you know controls I took. And I would get just absurd emails back like medium cheat, you shouldn't be paying them. I was like, but you didn't address any of my questions. I would even pay you for your time to help me troubleshoot. And no one took me up on that offer.
0: Yeah, that does not surprise me.
1: Because I just thought, well, you know, I don't think I'm stupid. But I assume there's oh, obviously a layer of scientists and people and skeptics who are lot smarter than me and they were seeing something that I was not capable of understanding just Mm -hmm. the way if I saw a magic trick I Mm -hmm. can't tell you how it's done but a magician can Mm -hmm. so I thought I was missing something and I have come to conclude that I am not why do you think I mean this is just sometimes I'm at a loss of words when I talk about this stuff because it is so profound it's as if we discovered life on another planet or broke the speed of light barrier and string theory of other dimensions. Why are the biggest scientists not rushing this data?
0: I think it's because, well, the human brain does not like change. And depending on your, literally on your neurology, some people who usually identify as more conservative versus people who identify as more liberal, people who Think of themselves as liberal when they're faced with new information, the frontal cortex of their brain lights up like, oh, that is interesting. But people who are more conservative and skeptical, when they're faced with new information, literally the amygdala lights up and it tells the body, we're in danger. And so these new ideas literally make people feel like their life is being threatened. So it's like, neurologically physiologically impossible for those people to rationally read these papers and accept it that that something is different than what they've always believed it takes someone very specific to be able to go yeah this is different but and I don't know and it's different from everything that I've always heard but I'll follow the data and look at the the methods and and land where the data point me. And that like, not everyone can do that. And that's unfortunate because if you could, it would really alleviate your suffering about your own death, about the deaths of the people and animals that you love. I don't need you to believe this, but you'd feel better in your life if you did. And so it's unfortunate, but people are stuck in their dogma and they don't want to They fear change. Humans fear change. All humans fear change. And so it's different and they don't like it. And so they just won't even entertain the idea that it could even be possible. They won't even look because it can't be possible. So I'm not even going to look. I'm not going to waste my time. That's what we hear a lot. And so I'm not arguing with those people because I think some of them, at least neurologically, they couldn't even entertain what I have to say anyway.
1: That makes so much sense. I never really heard the neurological argument, but that also ties into what we were just saying about that just this horrible sexism, you know, idealized white male that people are having such a hard time getting past that. The thing that stood out to me, especially reaching out to skeptics who said they were dedicated to this. And I mean, I guess I am dedicated to this, but if I was dedicated from a skeptic, I guess I am from a skeptic perspective, And the data is just so strong. But if that's why I just couldn't understand that they were skeptics, they were using all their time, focusing on mediumship. And then I would think they would just be so excited getting every bit of data and just keep a constant curiosity and open mindedness, which I think if you're pursuing a certain avenue, that's what you always need to do. I mean, if someone's just like, I don't believe any of this, and they're doing a trillion other things, and this isn't where their focus is, who cares? But if this is where your focus is, and grieving people are turning to you.
0: Keep in mind that people who identify as skeptics, and they make their living being skeptical, they would lose their job if they changed their mind. So they can't. But whereas a scientist we follow the data wherever it goes but a person who identifies as a skeptic they'll never be able to say it's it's something else because that they're making a living saying this is all bullshit so to change your mind is that's literally career suicide your meal ticket is gone if you change your mind like how can you trust someone for the truth who cannot change their mind
1: i think of that article Michael Schirmer wrote, I'll link to it in the show notes. And, and for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's a well known skeptic. And he shared a fascinating anomalous experience. And instead of his audience responding, like, wow, we've trusted you for years. And this is really interesting. And you've given us no reason to not trust you. This makes me curious. They attacked him and attacked him.
0: Yeah, they were like, apparently, I think they were like, apparently you have become mentally ill.
1: And how can you explore anything open-mindedly if that's how you're tagged?
0: Yeah, whatever I find, I'm still a scientist, whatever I find. I was surprised as like, I'm a hardcore scientist. And when we got those results from where the one factor that was different in the blinded living and deceased target readings was love. Oh, that's so woo-woo. Now I have to follow the love, like, oh, love, it's all touchy-feely, like that's so not my personality, but that's where the data pointed. And when I looked into it, lo and behold, love is a huge component of -of end-of-life experiences in the dying. And like people in hospice are heavily studied and there's a lot of love there. Near death experiences, a lot of love there. Out-of-body experience, like all these things, like it was all pointing like, oh, this is it. This is the cornerstone of the afterlife. And if we want to be connected to it, we have to bring love into our lives. Yeah, I think if I was going to sum up my findings, how can you optimize the possibility that you'll connect with your departed loved ones, it would basically be don't be a dick. Like, no one is a dick in the afterlife, I'm pretty sure.
1: (laughs) That's what I have a hard time understanding. Like there are some people in this world we're just such assholes. I'm sure you and I agree on a lot of them, certain <laughs> politicians. And um, I'm pretty open about my views about that on this podcast. Are you just a terrible person, then you cross over and you've just become a wonderful person? That's what I can't wrap my mind around.
0: No, no. Oh, no. I don't think that's what happens at all. And the like, th- my colleagues, Pam Heath and John Clemo wrote a book many years ago called Handbook to the Afterlife. And they looked through all this like channeled information, mediumship readings, near-death experiences, all these things. And they were like, this is what the afterlife is. And one of the big things they found was that you're still learning. You're still growing. You don't just show up and you've you've died. Um, your physical body has died, but you're going to keep going and keep exploring and keep learning things and keep working on yourself. So No, I assume those people have (laughs) that you're talking about have a harder time. I bet they don't just get to like sit back and relax right away. They probably have classes to take and um, (laughs) uh, agreements to sign and things like that because it's so different Then there's, you know, I think in that book, they said something like people who are (laughs) awful, they're going to have a harder time because they aren't going to fit in over there. And it's going to be quite a shock to the system when you get there and it's this beautiful accepting everybody's loving and compassionate and wants the best for each other. Like you aren't going to fit in if you're a dick and you're going to have to make a lot of changes. So it's probably easier if you try and make those changes now.
1: That makes so much more sense that at that it's only everyone instantly becomes loving because I'll hear that. I'm like, oh, that sounds like such bullshit.
0: No. I don't even know how that would even be possible. So we talked about the difference between medium and psychic, right? And the mediums know the difference. And they're like, when I do a mediumship ring and I'm talking to the departed, it isn't psychic. I know what psychic is and it's not that. We've covered those differences. But then there's the idea of how is it even possible for consciousness to to survive? Because none of this matters if you can't do that. So I think what people don't realize because there are two theories and they're just theories. So the one theory is the survival of consciousness that after the physical body dies, consciousness can continue to exist in some form. And then the alternative, again, theory is called scientific materialism. And it is the dominant paradigm. It's what they teach in medical schools. It's what everybody knows. But it's just a theory. And so scientific materialism is the idea that the brain makes consciousness. So when the brain dies, consciousness is gone. And there's data to support that theory because when we fuck with the brain, consciousness gets fucked up too, right? When you have stroke or you have injury, or even when you're sleeping, your brain is different and so your consciousness is different. But it would be like if you swung a baseball bat at your TV and you're like, oh, the picture is gone. That means the TV made the picture. No, it doesn't. So it's the same thing. Like you can hurt the brain and consciousness can get screwed up, but it's also possible that the brain isn't making consciousness, it's just a receiver of consciousness that is what we call non-local. It's not localized to the brain. It exists somehow and somewhere else and the brain serves as a antenna basically and keeps it associated with the, this brain and this body. but. Non-local consciousness and scientific materialism are both theories. And I think there's way more data to support non-local consciousness and the survival of consciousness after death than there is to support materialism. And people have written lots of books about the common understanding is materialism is on its way out. It doesn't explain all the things that need explaining. And it's it's dominant now. It's what everybody believes and it's what they're teaching in graduate schools and medical schools, but it's not, it doesn't describe the whole picture. Um, non-local consciousness does describe the whole
1: picture. And now it's kind of a fun question. So if someone gives you unlimited funds, what would be a study you would do?
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, what we really need to know is if consciousness is non-local, how is it interacting with the brain? Where in the brain is it interacting? So there's lots of studies that I would need to collect a team of people. I couldn't do that. I'm not a neurologist. I'm good at protocol design, but I'm not a neurologist. So that would be super interesting to like tease apart where that connection happens. And that's where I would start. I really have always wanted to do this massive grief study where we look at the four types of after-death communication that I describe in my book. So there's spontaneous, like the sense of feeling, the sense of presence. We call mediumship readings assisted after-death communication because you didn't directly experience the communication someone else did, the medium, and they assisted you in your experience of connecting with your departed loved one. There's facilitated, which involves a clinical scenario, and then requested. And so I would want to see, and we can talk about requested in a minute, but I would want to see how those things affect in like a randomized controlled trial, how those things affect grief, those after death communication experiences. So we really can get it sort of on the books, like this is helpful for grief when kind of nothing else is. And we can start training people on how to do these things. And, you know, your doctor would ask you, oh, you suffered a loss. Have you thought about requested after-death communication experiences? Like that it could become part of the norm and part of our healthcare system. That's what I would love. So when you win the lottery, you're gonna fund those two studies for me.
1: I was about to say, let's <laughs> manifest something when my billions come in from my book. <laughs> and who knows what else? I do startups one day, hopefully. <laughs> who knows? I would happily fund this. Wonderful. Or with the lottery, I will take that.
0: Yeah, we don't we can't uh we can't say how the miracles happen. We just say what we want to happen, right? We can't drive exactly. that. But I want to talk about requested after death communication. So we talk about. Spontaneous is just happens, as the name implies, spontaneously. Um, Dreams are often spontaneous ADCs. And then facilitated requires a a clinician in a specific protocol. Assisted is a mediumship reading. And then requested is when you do something in order to create a situation in which an after-death communication happens. So, I was 20 years into my research and I was like, this is strong research. These are, these are good protocols. This is good data. This isn't changing the world like I'd hoped. And so I was like, what, how can I reach people directly? So I wrote this book, Love and the Afterlife, available in Kindle and paperback on Amazon. And I developed...
1: It's really good. I just finished it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And I developed this meditation deck of cards many years ago and then a, a international publisher picked it up and so now these cards which it's called Guidance for Grief wisdom to help you stay connected to your loved ones after loss also available on Amazon and so what the Guidance for Grief cards do is you shuffle them and you pick one every day and some of the cards are signs so it it says today I'll be on the lookout for insects and I'll and I'll accept that that's a sign from my loved one and there's a bunch of different signs and so that way it, it it employs the power of synchronicity and randomness that you and your deceased person can have this miraculous experience like oh this card got called and then i saw a butterfly like oh now it's a little more a little easier to feel like it's meaningful than if you just like yep that's a butterfly and it's hard to determine what things, like all signs are usually mundane, everyday things. Like you can't have a sign where like the laws of physics are broken. Like, oh, I got a sign from my loved one and Mars now revolves around the moon. Like, no.
1: those are the types of signs I asked for in the beginning. I asked <laughs> for... I was like, I want to find an alive, not a toy, pink and purple turtle that walks through my room. I was like, okay, now I know they probably have to work within the laws of physics. Yeah, like you,
0: that's impossible. That That couldn't happen. That's impossible what you were asking for. So you can't do that. So these signs in the cards, they're possible things that people have who report spontaneous experiences report a lot of the times. So it's things that are are possible and that could happen. A sign has to be something that could happen. It couldn't be. I'm so sorry that you did that, that you tried to get, like, I'm not going to believe it till the impossible happens.
1: Right. I mean, I think I was just doing lots of different tests and experiments and I was seeing things defied, but I I definitely, as I said, I did every single thing a sitter shouldn't. (laughs) In terms of like being too skeptical, not in terms of ever giving my information or more information. And then I asked for like, yeah, I was like, well, if you're defying the laws of the universe by surviving, then I need a sign that defies the laws of the universe. But I ended up getting such remarkable signs, as well as, I mean, a trillion other things that happened, as well as your studies. And so I mean, it, it was a buildup and a slow one. And I still on my griefy days, I'm like, oh, God, there's a catch and I'm missing it. But... <laughs> I don't even think anymore my worry and I I just would like your opinion about this too my worry no longer is oh mediums are cheating I know the ones I know are not or that this stuff that happened didn't happen and it's a magic trick I worry now that physics is going to find an explanation that has not yet been discovered that explains everything that's happened and the answer is not survival
0: I can't say that that's not going to happen that's the other reason why People are skeptical of these things because there's no defined mechanism. We can't say, oh, this is how consciousness can survive death. It just seems like it can. It's just something consciousness can do. But there's lots of things we don't understand how they work. Like my training is in pharmacology. And there are dozens of drugs on the market that we don't know how they work. If you look it up, it'll say mechanism of action unknown. But they keep making them, they keep selling them, and it keeps helping people. So there's lots of things. We don't know why people yawn. We don't know why people dream. Like There's lots of things in your everyday life science can't explain. And so it's it is logical to believe things that don't have a mechanism because they're all around you. And we don't know. We don't know how this can happen. I don't have an answer for how this can happen. And but it seems like it's just something consciousness can do. Like you were saying, it it breaks the laws of the universe, but it doesn't. We just have to broaden the laws of the universe. Clearly, this is happening. Clearly, the deceased loved ones are surviving and staying in contact with us and connecting with us and talking to mediums and sending us signs and having you pull the right card that you need to hear today from the Guidance for Grief deck. Like, those things are real and they're happening so there has to be clearly we have to we have to create a different model we don't have to create we have to find a different model of reality that incorporates all these things that are real but they are i don't think that physics is going to come up with the here's the reason why these things aren't real i think it's going to be like here's the larger model that incorporates all of these things that are truly real. And if we look through history and across cultures all over the world, people staying connected with their departed loved ones is commonplace. So we're the weird ones. Modern society is the weird, like if other cultures and other Times looked at us, they'd be like, you idiots, of course we stay connected to our loved ones. Of course, love is the cornerstone of the afterlife. Of course, we're still able to communicate with our animals that have died. We're the weird ones. We're the ones not making any sense. This is just how it works. Consciousness survives and we stay connected and we can still communicate with our loved ones
1: who have passed. And so you think survival versus super psi, survival is the most likely explanation. Hi, I'm interrupting a second so I can explain what is Super Psy. I have addressed it a lot in other episodes, but in case this happens to be your first episode, first of all, welcome. And second of all, I'll just quickly explain that Super Psy is this concept that mediums, psychics, remote viewers, everyone is able to get all their information from a type of cloud, a bank of endless information. And that instead of communicating with deceased consciousness that survived in some way, mediums are getting all this information, which is a form of record an imprint, however people explain it, of everything that ever was of people who lived here of people's thoughts of experiences somehow gets imprinted and mediums are downloading information from that but we don't actually survive or they're not actually communicating with anyone whose consciousness has survived and now back to our episode
0: oh yeah Yeah, super psi is an outdated term. I did a presentation called Super Psi is Dead, and it about the the terminology is just wrong. It's also called um, Living Agent Psi, LAP, which they call it because the medium is living, but so's the sitter. And they don't, as usual, terms that scientists come up with, it's often the first term someone thought of, and it doesn't really define anything. In biology, which I know best, you know, there's a chemical, messenger called tumor necrosis factor. Like killing a tumor is like only one of the things that sucker does. And vascular endothelial growth factor only grows new vessels sometimes, but it also does other things. So the the names of things do not mean we understand the thing. It's just whatever got named first. So I renamed them. And so, because what a medium is doing is psi, it's clearly a psychic function. So, I renamed them. Well, there was the name in the literature already, survival psi. So, that is the medium is communicating with the departed using psi. And so, then I, with my colleague, Adam Rock, we put forth the term somatic psi. And so, that would be the explanation that the medium is, is reading like the the body of information stored in the Akashic Record or connecting with the body of the living sitter. So somatic soma means body. So survival psi, talking to dead people, somatic psi, no dead people, only using psychic functioning. And so this finding that under blinded conditions, they experienced more love supported survival psi and refuted somatic psi.
1: And so you're sitting... Was someone like me five years ago who's just like, okay, I'm reading all this, but I just, I can't believe it. I, it. How could consciousness survive? I've never heard any of this and I'm in super grief and really hopeful. What's something you would say to someone in that state?
0: There's lots of things that we've been taught that are wrong. Like if you just look at healthcare, right? There's things that, you know, it used to be they're like, you need to have a pap smear once a year. And now they're like, eh, every three to five, maybe we'll we'll catch it if it's in there. So there's things that like they they were telling us, this is for your survival. And now we're like, eh, it's not so bad. So there, there's lots of things. Remember when eggs were bad, but then eggs were good, but then eggs were bad again. Like, no, you can't trust the system. I would say turn internally. Does that feel good? Does it feel good to believe that we just die and that's the end of it? Or do you feel like there's something different and there's something more? Like, really get in tune with yourself and, like, what does it feel like? Because there's lots of bullshit getting thrown around, and no one, not even I, have all the answers, not even me. But you have to use your own test for it within yourself. Does that feel right? I don't, you know, like our bodies are really knowledgeable and they have lots of wisdom. Like, our sense of taste keeps us from eating poison. Our sense of smell keeps us from eating rotten food or getting too close to infection or, you know, bodies that are decaying. So, your body has a lot of its own internal wisdom and sit with that be quiet for a moment. In my book I talk about meditation. It, the data are that that the best way to be more psychic is learn meditation. And it's not clearing your mind. The mind doesn't like to be clear necessarily. It has jobs to do, but it likes to focus. It likes to be good at what it's trying to do. So if you focus on just counting your breaths or, you know, focus on what do I see right now? What do I feel? What do I smell? Like mindfully being aware of your surroundings, get in those kind of states. And again, your body has the tools. It ain't going to eat poison. It ain't going to spend time with a corpse it knows those things are bad. So does this idea of scientific materialism, does that make you, what does your body have to say about that? Do you think that when we die, when the brain dies, that's the end of it? Or do you feel like there's more than that? Over 90% of people in surveys believe in an afterlife. So it's not weird to believe it. Even people who don't believe in an afterlife will still report Having experiences of after death communication. They'll say, I don't believe in an afterlife, but I did connect with my departed mother or whatever. It's about the semantics, it's about the language. And so get language, get the frontal cortex out of the system and like feel it in your body. What does your body, what is the wisdom of your body
1: telling you? I'll just add that a lot of people I have heard since I've started opening up that this is what I'm doing and now pretty public. So many people have said to me, I don't really believe this, but, and then they have an absolutely inexplicable story.
0: Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. Guess what? Your uh, departed loved ones don't care what you believe. If they want to be connected to you, they're going to be connected to you. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. So if people are interested in the free educational materials that the Winbridge Research Center charity has that you can find those on winbridge.org. Again, if you go to the education tab, there's all kinds of things. There's videos from my scientific conferences. Uh, we did a afterlife symposium a couple years ago. All 11 of those videos are available there on the education page. There's fact sheets. As a charity, that's our mission is to provide free information to people on these topics because what they're getting like we receive no training about any of this and so we wanted to make it the lowest bar entry we could so it's all free um at winbridge.org and if you want to follow me and my adventures uh, my website is juliebphd.com i'll post there about any new books or events or anything like that you can join my email list I think that's all I want to say. I really, I'm really, really proud of this book, Love in the Afterlife. And I really think it can help a lot of people. And it offers some good tips about how to move through the world with this knowledge that none of us have received in our adulthood training in in what to do. You can have afterlife beliefs and experiences, and that's normal. And no, no one's telling anybody that. I have a friend who's a high school teacher. And he lost a colleague and a male colleague. And one of his female colleagues, they're all three friends, right? They all work together. They're all three friends. And the one guy dies. And the the female teacher, she started having after-death communication experiences of the deceased teacher. And they made her take a leave of absence and see a counselor. So he was saying, the, the third one goes, um... One, I believe you, and two, you should look into the work of Julie Beischel and, you know, read this book, Love in the Afterlife. Because so these people are being punished, literally punished for these beliefs. Um, I worked with a LCSW licensed clinical social worker named Beth Christofferson, and we wrote a paper because therapists in their training, they learn that the idea of religion and spirituality are important to health but they receive no training about afterlife beliefs and experiences. And so she, she created a tool that will allow clinicians some training in that area because there's nowhere that they're getting that training. So at the center, we try and serve multiple population scientists with our, our published peer-reviewed journal articles. We, we actually publish our own journal to our own peer-reviewed journal called Threshold. And you can read all of those papers um, there as well but we want to serve clinicians who treat the grieving we want to serve mediums cuz you know they got it tough and we want to just serve the general public usually that's people who are grieving or just people interested in consciousness so with these free educational materials the Winbridge research center really wants to do it it's a charity we want to serve the, the serve our we want to be of service
1: Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides were solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep. We're just actively looking for her. These girls were
0: alive. They were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, Who was it? What happened?
1: What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series
0: investigating mysterious, unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook and at Crime Speaking on Twitter.
1: Hi everyone, I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know, how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to WTFJustHappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Tanya asks... I heard we all have abilities, meaning psychic medium abilities. What do you think about that? As Lloyd Arbach said, all of us can sing, but not all of us are Beyonce. So that's what I think. I think there's a few ways to answer this. Almost all of us seem able to get some form of signs or communications. Some Moments where we might have a visitation dreams from our loved ones. We might just know something. So it seems to be just a human ability. Now, does that mean we should all go be psychic mediums? Absolutely not. I think almost all of us think of a friend we haven't spoken to in forever, and then suddenly we run into them or they text us. Also, maybe a difference between most of us in psychic mediums is you're hanging out with a friend and I mean, we all have piles of thoughts a minute. Maybe you think of like a certain pie that you want to eat and you don't say it. I mean, it's just one of the fleeting thoughts like, Oh yeah, next week I'll go grab a piece of this pie from the store. And that was her grandmother's favorite pie. And her grandmother was sending that to you. Whereas a medium might suddenly, that message get a picture of her grandmother and know it was coming from her grandmother and then be able to say oh did your grandmother love this certain kind of blueberry pie and i'll also just share two theories dr dean radin thinks that almost all of us have abilities then there are a few people who have exceptional abilities Those are the ones that should be professional psychic mediums. And then there's another tiny percent that have absolutely no abilities. And so then there's another theory. I discussed it in my episode with John Kruth of the Rhine that we're all just constantly getting psychic information all the time. It's why we go down one street over another or why we're like, oh, let me go to the store now and not later, and then you run into someone you know, or maybe you avoided something you didn't want to have happen. And we're just not even consciously aware that that's where tons of our information is coming from, whereas psychic mediums can then tap into the next level of that, as well as have an awareness that a percent of our information is coming to us that way. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you wanna be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. And thank you so much. I will just say to everyone, Go read Dr. Beichel's books. Go to her website and read the studies. They're written in different forms. They're free. Most of them are free. I don't want to speak for all of them, but yes, just
0: just to be clear, some of the papers that are published in journals we don't have the rights to, but then we write a fact sheet summarizing it, and then that's free.
1: There is just yeah, such a vast body of just stuff that is so profound and just life changing so i recommend all of it and honestly Dr. facial you and the work at windbridge is what got me through my first few months of grief i cannot imagine getting through those months without all of your research so i really appreciate it
0: oh you're so welcome i'm so glad that we were able to be there for you and that that it was a resource that you could get a hold of um i'm really i'm really thankful for that thank you for your Thank you for your thanks.
1: To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There, you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and remember you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened